Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Udang Dhammang Sangang Namasami So one of the things that uh, generally encourages or interests people in terms of Dharma practice in Buddhism is uh, peacefulness, peace, looking for peace of mind. Yeah. So there's constant uh, aims and wishes that human beings have to live peacefully, to have a peaceful world. <laughs> Doesn't seem to happen. Everybody agrees on it. It's a good thing. Every religion preaches it. Every nation wants to live peacefully. It's funny how it doesn't seem to, since there's such an earnest desire for it. Uh, because, of course, generally people go around that way. Well, we'll be peaceful if we get rid of all the, all the things that annoy us. <laughs> like other people. Um, <laughs> And so on. <laughs> so it starts to get a little bit violent. <laughs> uh, uh, really, the, uh, you know, the Buddhist, or Buddha's answer to this is really about learning to, to work with feeling, deal with feeling, particularly mental feeling. And just to clear that feeling in, uh, is the term Pali word is Vedana, which doesn't mean moods, doesn't mean one's feelings in terms of one feel depressed or elated or loved or rejected, or whatever. It just feels pleasant or unpleasant. So, and these more evolved, what we call feelings, moods and emotions, are sort of evolved on the basis of pleasant or unpleasant feeling. Yeah. So the two are connected, but not necessarily the same thing. And, and just to recognize that feeling, Vedana, is just something that has two fundamental bases. Body, body feels. You can't have a body that doesn't feel unless you anesthetize it. You know, so a normal body will feel things. It's a nervous system. The mind feels things. So your mind... Really, sometimes the word mind can be misleading because we think mind is just the thinking system, but mind is very much always has feeling in it. It feels agreeable or disagreeable. Yeah. And this is so, so normal that we don't really notice it because you don't have a mind state which doesn't have a feeling. So you've got no way of really recognizing it. So you see someone you know and think, oh, and you feel. This kind of positive mind state arises. You feel pleasant because he's a nice person. Well, no, you just, you know, maybe he is, but right now all you're doing, you see, you have a visual impression and that registers 
uh, what's called a perception. So that the perceptions arise out of contact, the interpretations of things, there's a cow or a, a nice shape, we find it beautiful, or reminds us of something agreeable, heartwarming, friendly, or offensive, you know, then these feeling kicks in. So it's associated, any kind of contact always has feeling with it, mental contact. Something touches you and you feel. But the thing with perception is that that feeling is so immediately interpreted as, well, that's a rotten thing to do, or that's a really funny joke, or he looks really weird and ugly to me. As a, the perception immediately translates as a, as a truth about the thing, you know, <laughs> rather than recognizing, well, there was a disagreeable feeling there, and that's why that's caused that particular response to arise. And not necessarily inaccurate, but the, the it was the feeling that caused that to happen. As you know, you know, you can have touch physical touch you touch someone you like and it's pleasant you touch someone you don't like and it's unpleasant but it's actually the physical contact is about the same isn't it yeah. you have a little spider running up the back of your hand physical contact with that, that is not much different from having someone tickle you with a feather yeah, which you might find quite agreeable spider thing horrible Actually, the physical sensations are about the same, but the mental perception is rather different. So, mental perception and the mental feeling are very much conjoined. But we really consider that the, you know, the perception is a truth rather than something that's based upon feeling, associated with a feeling, mental feeling. So you have mental feelings around ideas, books, pictures, uh, pieces of news, football matches, football reports, you know, look at your scorecard, 3-0, oh no, you know, it's just numbers isn't it, really in on one level, but the meaning of it, my team has lost or lost, failed, you relegated again, you know, and the mental feeling comes out of the perception of that. He's raised this uh, mental feeling. Mental feeling then gets inter- gets uh, forms of particular mood or emotion, depression, irritation, anger, fear. So these all conjoined, yeah. and you can't really you can't really find any way to peace unless you understand feeling for what it is. And you have to you know, work through the perceptions of people, of events, of right and wrong, not to, not to dismiss them and say, okay, that's right and that's wrong, you know, that's good, that's bad, it's interesting, not interesting. But just, okay, hold it right there, and just check the feeling with that. Just check the feeling what the feeling does. Yeah. So I pick up a copy of Chithurst Accounts, a white piece of paper with black marks on it. Just visually it's not particularly attractive. 
doesn't arouse pleasant feeling. White paper, black squiggles on it. So what? Yeah. Read the figures, interpret perception. Broke. Okay. <laughs> Unpleasant feeling again. <laughs> Shouldn't be this way. The worry, you know. And then pick up National Ge- Ge- Geographic magazine, opening up some kind of fungus there, beautifully photographed, glossy paper. Pleasant feeling. So I'll soon look at that. If I go to a sit in the library and browse, I don't want to browse through the Chitter's finance reports. I want to browse through National Geographic or something like that. Calvin and Hobbes, Harry Potter. <laughs> See, there are different ways in which that they are agreeable. So I imagine if they did the Chitter's accounts on beautiful maple leaf paper with autumn colours shining through it. First of all, it would be pleasant till you actually read the same old figures. <laughs> you know, so, so you get things that are derived from the, from the visual base, so the, the eye doesn't mind, but your visual impression gives rise to a mental perception, maple leaves, autumn, warm colours, mentally agreeable. And then you can also have feelings that arise just upon mental perception, such as, you know, three nil or in the red or whatever it is. You know? So purely mental. Then so you can have. So all these, but uh, it always comes through the mind. So it's a vi- even if it's a visual object, it's still the mind's impression of that visual object or, t- or taste object. Actually, the tongue doesn't care. And yet we can find ourselves you know, nauseated by food that other people really adore, durians or um, pickled fish. Other people love them and you detest them. The tongues don't care. But the mind interprets that flavor as agreeable or disagreeable. And then the whole feeling comes up and then the emotion comes up and you label it as horrible. Yuck. So that's the bit, that feeling, perception, interpretation, and then when it, the powerful perception gives rise to the sense of get away from it or get hold of it. So you get in, on top of that comes in what's called the sankara, which is the activity, the, the emotional activity of desire or aversion kicks in. So that's how it all works. Yeah. And in practice, you've got to you've got to go down. You've got to work through, look, contemplating, you know, how things are really affecting you. Before you start labeling people as this or that, or situations as this or that, or uh, you know, other things like that, as this or that. Say, so what's what's first of all? What's the feeling? Check the feeling. This is the only way you can get out, really, of the reactivity and the frustration and uh, being offended and uh, feeling needy and wanting and desire. You can only get out of it through checking down through the, what the mind's doing to the very the P under the mattress is the feeling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, find yourself your birthday and people forgot about it. It was your birthday. So, 
you have this perception of birthday, um, 50 years old today, people should have known about that, and then nobody said anything, people forgot about it, didn't notice it. And then that strikes the mind, disagreeable feeling then. They don't care, callous, hard up, missed, you know, didn't care. They get offended, hate everybody. Then you find out that they, they they were just holding it. You know, that's what it feels like in the morning. In the afternoon, they suddenly spring all these presents on you. They were holding back as a surprise, and suddenly they all change into being my wonderful friends who love me. <laughs> so you're watching what the mind does. So I remember I was noticing the mind plays tricks. I remember coming in one morning to the morning chanting, which normally begins about 4.30, we have a morning chanting, and then we sit for a while, and about 45 minutes, and somebody rings the bell, which means you get a chance to go out and do some walking, meditation, or stand up, and then the second period goes on, then they ring the bell again after another 45 minutes, that's the end of the session, and then we do have a final, final chant to, to kind of wrap it up. So one morning I came in, it's very, everybody was sitting there, Quiet, so I sit down, okay. Waiting for somebody to begin the chanting. Silence. Nobody's chanting, nobody's chanting. What if they expect me to do it? It's not my turn to do the chanting. Why do I always have to do the chanting? I've done this for years. Why didn't somebody else do it? I'm not going to chant, I'm going to sit here. (laughs) They've decided to cancel it. Nobody's told me about it. People are cancelling the chanting. How dare they cancel the morning chanting? It's traditional. This is what we're supposed to do as monks. Taking it easy. Expect me to do it, and they're just taking it easy, not chanting. Lazy. <laughs> Sit there for a while. This is really strange. Then the bell rings, and then it really gets up and does the concluding chant. And what happens, I turned up 45 minutes late because I hadn't turned my clock. It was one of those kind of spring-autumn things where you turn, I'd forgotten to turn my clock. So I'd actually turned up late. They'd already done the morning chanting when I turned up. <laughs> so I'd turn up when the second period was about to begin and they'd already done all the chanting. And it's this moment when all these people who'd been lazy, careless, so, 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 shifted. There's this moment when that, that perception of people being this way, which was quite clearly there, and I was going to have words about it. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, you know. That just that moment just hovered there, and it suddenly dawned on me what happened. And like the, the world turned around. <laughs> it's just like that. It melted. And it was so real, you know. The mind made it so, it's kind of so, so real. And you could build up all these perceptions of yourself and other people and, you know, gee, wow. Yeah. So in this community life, you get to see this a lot, you know, particularly in our kind of hierarchical structure. So wherever, you know, you're top of the line, you feel, oh, I've, you know, it's always up to me or get all the attention, I have to do this, that and the other. You feel, dis- you know, 
disagreeable because they don't always want to be there. You know, sometimes it just doesn't meet what your energies are about, but still there you are. But then it can also be the case that you're not getting enough attention. Why don't I ever get to say anything? Sitting at the end of the line here, ignored, left out, not noticed, not respected. I don't count, you know, <laughs> so it can go either, either way. Yeah. Um, it just kind of turns it around. So this is why we make generally, you know, the idea is you try to share all the requisites out that's irrespective of where you are, just to kind of keep recognizing how people can, you know, develop, have these painful feelings and develop powerful emotions around them. So there's a world, what's called worldly or equanimity is a one of the ways to, that, uh, that the, we deal with emotion, with feeling. So equanimity is both a feeling itself, a kind of neutral feeling, but also it's considered to be um, kind of like something that, that lifts you out of the immediate hit of feeling to, to be able to, be, to receive feeling. So there's an example where the Buddha is saying, well, you know, when I teach the monks, I give them um, teaching for their, out of compassion for their welfare, and then uh, they don't listen. They don't apply their minds to what I'm talking about. They don't listen. They don't get any realizations. I am not satisfied, and I feel unsatisfied, but I'm equanimous. So he experiences the sense of, you know, I wanted that to happen. I was doing my best. And I just, you know, don't think that was correct. But um, I can feel that, that, recognize that. But I don't have to react to it. I don't have to react to it. I can just notice that. And it says there are occasions when I do teach and they do listen and they get the point. I'm satisfied. I feel satisfied, but also I'm equanimous. Yeah, so a sense in which you feel the feeling and the, and the mental you know, mood that happens around that, but not be moved by it, not be caught in it. This is the essence, really, of the way of dealing with feeling, the Buddha's way to peace, is that we have this capacity, basically two very powerful capacities, both based on wisdom. First of all is you can... Whenever you fully name something, see what it is, state what it is, are clear about it, your mind, in order to do that, has to step back. So if you say, I'm feeling really grumpy, then as soon as you really know that, sense that there's something that steps back from that state, says, well, it's that. There's grumpiness. Grumpiness is like that. Tiredness is like that. Pain is like that. Disappointment's like that that ability to detach or differentiate or step back is a very something we, we can all do. We don't always do it, but we can do it. That is one of the hinge points of what's called wisdom, the ability to be discerning. And in that, it's the, the interesting thing is it's not through denying that those things are happening, but by clearly knowing them. Yeah. Very clearly knowing them, saying that's that. So we have that capacity. 
Mm. And so when that's applied to a feeling, then at that moment the mind steps back from the feeling, says that's pain, that's pleasure, a strong pleasure, that's slightly painful. Mm. It's able to discern. So we have that wisdom capacity. And uh, the point, of course, is that we don't always use it. In fact, you have to train yourself to use it. Because by and large, people will tend to, it's, the mind is so attracted to feeling. When I say attracted, not necessarily pleased by feeling, but galvanized by it. If you want to know, you know where the center of your mind is, sentimental focus, it'll always be where the feeling is strongest. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, that, that will be the center of your attention, ordinarily. Hmm? So if you listen to a talk, it will be the bit that you found funny, that you remember, or the, the image that struck you. It gave you a little feeling of, oh, that was funny, or that was pleasant, or that was, you know, you was, your mind was moved, stirred. You can see that, just that, you know, anything that you see where, you, where there's a kind of, your mind jars and hits that, and, well, what's that there? What happened there? There was a feeling there. The feeling is always the center of the mind's habitual attention. As you can see, advertisements are very good at conjuring up perceptions that have strong, pleasant, or unpleasant overtones, generally pleasant ones. You know, so it looks smooth, glossy, attractive, happy. Everybody's happy in the advertisements. You know, you see miserable people in advertisements. Happy washing shirts. Happy buying a tire. Happy with a screwdriver. They're always happy. <laughs> so we feel, oh, pleasant feeling. Because you've, you've, you know, you don't think about it. It's just that's the, that's the human, what it does. It, you, it's mirroring effect. You see someone else looking happy and you immediately get that sense perception must be good. Yeah. Even though eventually you keep kind of cutting it off, you know, dismissing it, but that's, that's the immediate re- response. You look at the newspapers, you don't think, you don't see anything about equanimity in newspapers. You don't have headlines about equanimity. Today was just a nothing special kind of day. It was all right. It was no big deal. Things were kind of okay in, you know, little snodbury, chicken laid an egg. <laughs> and there were plenty of people breathing in and out all over the planet. There's always a shock, horror there, and or the next page is the, is the, the glamour, the fashion, the, the new gadget you can buy, the wonderful improvements, the next page is global crisis, pollution, polar bears dying out, next page, Arsenal win 5-0, next page, you know, somebody's blowing up somebody else, raping, violence, next page, wonderful summer clothes you can wear, <laughs> so just switching you know, from one emotion to the next. So that's, you know, that's what that does, isn't it? They're not, they're, nobody, you can't peddle equanimity. Because <laughs> your mind won't go there. It always goes to the where the feelings can be strong. And so everything is there to, to generate 
strong feeling to attract you. So to, so you see, this is why peace is such a difficult thing because our whole society depends upon arousing and hitting the feeling button, getting powerful, more powerful emotions to to come into play around that. But when you train your mind, you start to train yourself in just trying to notice when you meditate particularly, painful feeling, pleasant feeling, neutral feeling, not feeling very strongly pleasant, not feeling strongly painful. A lot of it is just not much at all really. Breathing in, breathing out. Mm, nothing big nothing big about that. But you train to to contemplate the whole of the feeling realm, particularly recognizing that quite a bit of it is not really that sensational. And particularly you know, in monasteries, the whole aim of it is to be rather boring in a way, or neutral. You know, space, greys, beige, nothing particularly zingy about the colours. You know, neutral. I mean, that neutrality can be a sense of subtle feeling arises, which is the feeling of not being pressed in upon. So we also recognize, apart from this ability to, to step back from feeling, witness it, and be more thorough in doing that, to deliberately, if you're noticing something, there must be a feeling there. Just check it out. What is it? You see someone, there must be a feeling. It must be either mildly pleasant, mildly unpleasant, strongly neutral, something like that. And it could be the same person. Can, at this particular time, is an unpleasant feeling arises with them. Another time, it's pleasant feeling. You know, according to situations and scenarios. It's just checking it. You begin to see what a changing thing it is. Changeable, a mirage-like. There isn't anyone who is continually going to give you pleasant feeling. It doesn't happen. And, uh, and of course, what there is the pleasant feeling for, then when it moves away, there's a sense of, oh, that was nice, I enjoyed that. Disappointment. So it's just that shifting, you know. It goes like that. The world is just that. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, shifting. You can't fight, you can't actually hold it. But what you can do is you can step back from it and you find there's a certain groundedness, stability in that. And that has a pleasant effect, calming, steadying. So we can also pick up feeling from, you might say, the energy of the mind or the mind base. So when the mind is less uh, impassioned, less stirred up, less thrown around, less pulled out, less compressed, more steady, more... It has a pleasant feeling to it. This is a feeling that's not associated with sense contact or external things. It's associated with the mind state itself. So you notice, oh, so this, apart from this ability to step back with the wisdom faculty, we also start to notice things like you can get subtler and more enjoyable kinds of feeling, not based upon what's happening externally, but how you are responding. So... We start to notice, it's like, oh, oh, generosity feels nice, compassion feels nice, um, 
um, taking my time, being more relaxed feels nice. Um, being free from regrets feels good. So you start to think, well, you know, let's start to get things like morality together, not from some kind of righteous position, just because it feels a lot better where my mind isn't furtive, isn't guilty, isn't enraged, isn't manipulative. It just feels nicer. So this kind of subtler level of feeling or internal, purely internal feeling. And then in uh, meditation practice, you make a lot of this particular base of feeling. So much so that this internally generated feeling can become something again, because feeling is what your mind is attracted to. You begin to fashion an established internal base of feeling that your mind bonds to, and it becomes absorbed, calm, steady, stable. So this is uh, one of the skills of meditation, to deliberately withdraw from sense contact or refine sense contact and start to establish a feeling base on the skillful states of mind, such as steadiness, balanced energy, gentleness, you know, non-distractedness, uh, compassion, forgiveness, and so forth. And you just keep fashioning that and staying with that. And the feeling that comes from that, like any other feeling, will attract your mind. So then you get, then your mind then sits still in that, and you get the sense of calm and stability, and grab, and, and that, not just the pleasant feeling, but it shifts your values. You start to think, hey, I can feel good, really good like this. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, I don't have to you know, do a number on somebody else to get it. I don't have to compete with anyone to get it. I don't have to rush down the end of the road to get it. I don't have to jump in my car and drive off to get it. I don't have to save up to get it. <laughs> in fact, it gets better the more I just dispense with all that. So it's uh, a, a kind of a, a feeling that the gener- generate generating it starts to radically affect your lifestyle because you become less worldly in a, in a whatever you want to make of that term, but less caught up with the hurry and the, and the blur and the worldly values. And you've got an internal base of feeling. So that is really helpful. Uh, and generally, the other thing you notice is that there's a tendency for more skillfully based, feelings that are based on skillful mind states to become increasingly more steady and less strongly configured in terms of pleasure or pain. So calm is not fantastically calm. It's not ecstatically calm. It's it's just calm. It's less strongly configured, say, than, uh, than ecstasy or orgasms or you know something like that it's it's, just, it's a it's a quieter feeling and the more skillful states as you cultivate them and focus on them they will tend towards more and more refined and you could say subdued but quieter feeling so it tends to less and less intensity of feeling so the the temperature goes down you might say but the effect of the mind being held by it strengthens because 
of the skill of applying yourself and beginning to appreciate your taste changes. You appreciate the sense of not being rocked around. Not being rocked around. The mind being steady. And then, I don't want to feel that happy. I like to just feel steady. Feels has a more satisfied feeling. So from your taste can change from something like enjoying uh, bright, strong feeling to no, I just like the quieter level of feeling. It makes you feel because it lasts longer, and it has a more deeply satisfying uh, quality to it. Whereas strong feeling has a like a firework, bursts, and then pop, you're out. You know, you're out of that. Oh wow! Get another one of those. Bang! Then whoa. You know, it's like that. Whereas the feeling associated with calm doesn't jump up and burn out like that. It's kind of steady, quieter, quieter. And also it means that as, as the temperature of the general temperature goes down, you might say, then you, your, your attention becomes crisper and clearer because you don't have these uh, violent swings blurring your focus. You can attend more to subtler aspects and that tendency that trajectory goes towards equanimity which is this even steady feeling the mind is not rocking one way or another it's just held steady Mm. and you know the idea of equanimity can be quite exciting actually when you think of it like that But you, you can't you can't get equanimous by getting hungry and excited about it all. You just got to work through the feeling, and that's part part of the the, the skill of it and the and the uh, personal uh, honesty of it. Because we may want to feel peaceful, calm, equanimous, steady, but actually feel rather annoyed and disappointed and grumpy or sick or offended you know so a lot of the practice is based upon just you know the, the wisdom of knowing the feeling as it is and then just stepping back from it okay this is what's happening whether it should be happening whether I should have got over this or not I shouldn't be bothered by this I actually am bothered by this so what's the feeling feel like there's this kind of movement through the nervous system the mind getting excited about it, getting involved with it, and it's spinning out. And then sooner or later you get this point where he's just tired of that. You know, stops. And then you pick it up again. And you just keep waiting for those moments of it stopping before your mind picks it up and has another go at it. You know, if you have a mind like a terrier, it chews this some obsession for a while. They never told me. Stop. Well, well, go back there again. <laughs> it chews it a little more and puts it down. So you find, particularly, you know, when you meditate, when there isn't anything to do, your mind wants to have something to get. Feeling, yeah. 
get obsessive about. So you just, you know, check in with that. Because the mind wants to have something to get galvanized around. That's why when you meditate, you don't really, in a way, have a choice. You've had to develop wisdom and calm, because if you don't, your mind will automatically just go back to obsessing with with the, the disappointments or the sorrows or the grudges of yesterday, of 10 years ago, or the passions and excitements that we could have in two years' time or next or tomorrow. We'll just keep doing that. Unless you've got something that's able to step back from feeling, get a hold of it, and take it into your body, breathe it in, breathe it out, steady it. Yeah. So, you know, for meditation, peace, equanimity anyway, is, is uh, you know, considered a, that, you know, absolutely... Um, inevitable for skillful meditation. That's the way it goes. It doesn't go there on day one. Work through the feeling. Be with the feeling. Feel the feeling as a feeling. So the wisdom capacity, recognizing feeling is a feeling. It's not a person. It's not a perception. It's not that what you're feeling annoyed about is actually true nor is it actually false. It's neither true nor false at the moment. You don't know. All you know is the feeling. And feeling does this. Pleasant feeling runs into the mind. The mind runs onto it, gets hold of it, wants more of it. Never wants less of pleasant feeling. Unpleasant feeling comes into the mind. The mind jumps on it, struggles with it, doesn't want it at all. Never wants unpleasant feeling. So you notice this is feeling and this is what the mind does. You just keep contemplating that. And whose is this feeling? Could feeling be anything else than that? Could unpleasant feeling come into the mind and make you feel happy? No. Only if you found it pleasant. Could pleasant feeling depress you? No. So feeling is, and does feeling have any purpose? So when you have physical feeling, does physical feeling that happens when you get sick, or you've got a sore muscle, does the feeling come into your body and say, well, I really want to give you some pain? Does it have motivation? Has it got its eye on you, saying, you know, she's been getting out of hand of late, let's give her a hard time? Nope. Feeling is no motivation at all, no intentionality. No, feeling is just going about its own way, doing what it does, which is to feel. Feeling is doing its duty, which is to feel. <laughs> And then what you've got to recognize and train yourself to do is to do your duty, which is to be wise. You can't expect feelings to be wise. There's not their capacity. All they do is feel. Human beings have capacity to be wise, which means you step back. You can do that. That is what it is to be a human being. If you're a dog, much less opportunity. Amoebas, same thing. They've just got to go for it or go away from it. Human being, you've got that capacity to step back. This is a feeling. 
That's your job. That's your duty. That doesn't mean that you uh, you dismiss the thing that's causing you pain or pleasure. But if you want to respond to it, you've got to step back first of all so that you respond to it in a wise way. Flies buzzing on the window, you don't like the sound of that fly buzzing on the window. It doesn't mean you've got to smash it to a gory pulp. <laughs> it means you, oh, I don't like the fly buzzing in the window. I can either just open the window and scoot it out, or I can acknowledge I don't like that feeling and say, but never mind, it's a creature doing what it's doing, trying to get out, leave it alone. Yeah. You might find an unpleasant feeling arousing over something that somebody does, you know, misbehavior of some kind or another. Mm. You feel disappointed, irritated, angry or something. Okay, step back, check that. And then it might, when you step back that feeling, you might find either you have the capacity, the clarity to then comment to that person at the right time. Well, what you're doing has these effects. So it doesn't mean you you dismiss it, but you loosen up your mind's being grabbed by it. And the overall result of that is equanimity. It becomes more peaceful. For a start, you begin to see that as long as you're alive, it's going to be the same old thing. As long as you're alive, it's going to be pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and neutral feeling. So the idea that you could smash that thing away and get rid of that unpleasant feeling (laughs) is a complete fantasy because then something else is going to arise because it's going to do exactly the same thing. So there's no way you can get rid of unpleasant feeling through, through that. So you realize that the only way you can get away from irritating people is to stop being irritated by them or to recognize your feeling step back from it not respond to it look at the perception calm your mind develop compassion develop equanimity develop passion develop patience things like that that's the way you get rid of irritating people (laughs) and including yourself who is sometimes the most irritating of the lot. So this is where our our enemies disappear. Mm. Similarly, our infatuations, this is where we are able to bear with separation from the pleasant, the agreeable. Feeling has to be this way. It has to arise and pass. Has to be the passing of pleasure, has to happen. That's what it does. And there'll be another pleasure that rises and passes, and another displeasure that rises and passes. So you can't hang on to a pleasant feeling. It's not possible, it doesn't happen. So just knowing that, you've already begun to find a place where you're no longer getting so anxious, so lost, so disappointed, so frustrated, so needy so busy because you realize that the next feeling's on its way already you know you don't have to rush for it and whatever it is it'll just be one of the three pleasant unpleasant and neutral 
and your mind will grab hold of it. <laughs> Same story, right? Yeah. And then as your mind will grab hold of it, and your duty is to step back, and you begin to, through that process, generate a more long-term, calmer, quieter, more equanimous feeling. Not because you're trying to be equanimous, because that's all that's left. Yeah. That's what happens when the mind comes into balance. When the mind is in balance, it cannot help but feel equanimous. You can't say, I want to feel equanimous. Make that feeling happen. But when you're no longer so rocked around by pleasure and pain, the stability of the mind has to feel equanimous. This mind always feels something. So the wisdom is the path to that quality of equanimity, not trying to feel something, just being wise about how you feel. And then when you bring that into meditation, then you have the, the calming effect, and you have the effect of wisdom awareness, you know, which is that ability to notice even the calm of your mind isn't something that you want to you know, hang on to as some big thing I've got. So through that there is a blending of the calm of wisdom and the calm of energy. Yeah. So this is called like the calm that arises, equanimity that's based on unity, the unity of awareness, the unity of, of feeling and awareness, steadies the mind. So this is how the way to peace now, a lot of the time, of course, people are not necessarily meditating. So, you know, you start to look at some skills. What can you so for a start, if you want to feel more peaceful, just start to give more attention to things that don't arouse strong feeling. The breathing in, breathing out, the space around you. Um, visual space. Um, just ordinary sounds, listening to all the ordinary, the karma, the quiet, the nothing special. And, uh, but, and you find through that just giving it more attention, the power of attention itself has got this inner feeling to it. So, you know, you can cultivate it like that. Notice uh, the change of things, the shifting of things. Sometimes you just, sometimes you can even kind of play with an idea, like imagine. Imagine, perhaps it's good not to imagine anything too realistic, but imagine you're about to win a million pounds on the pools, or will you win on a lottery or something, or you're going to get a gift of a million pounds. Wow, great. And you think all well, the things you could do with it. Oh, you do this, that, the other. It could really happen. Oh, fantastic. And then you wait till the mind's gone through that, and you let the feeling finish with that. Come to the end. Stop. Here you are. Hmm. Then you think the opposite. They're about to come and repossess my house. <laughs> thrown out on the street yeah. just one suit of clothes maybe not even a suit of clothes just what I'm standing up in not a penny 
and go through that kind of thing and get to the end of that feeling hmm, here we are and you realise they're both the same place the end <laughs> the end of the emotional train is always arrives at the same station whether it's unpleasant or pleasant where it eventually arrives is exactly the same station like here you are here it is here you are oh. Yeah. So you just kind of see how just by by being patient with a feeling, letting it pass through you, not reacting to it, you come to the station, which is equanimity. This is the nature of the mind when it's not moving, the feeling of the mind when it's not moving. Anyone?